Thank you, guys. Are so kind. It is such a privilege always to preach the word of God or to share the word of God. I never take it for granted. And uh, yeah, it is. It is an amazing blessing. So I haven't had a baby recently, and I don't have pictures of a beautiful little baby boy to put on the screen this morning. But yeah, just got two very big boys over six foot, almost six foot seven. So, um, but if you don't know us, I think there are many of you that don't know, I'm married to that amazing, handsome young man over there. And uh, for 24 years now, we, it was our anniversary this last week, we've been married for 24 years and we've got three children. Uh, Jordan is 21, John is 19, Keze is 17, and they are our pride and joy. We are very blessed to have them in our lives. And so I'm just going to pray for us before we get into the Word. Lord, we want to thank you so much that we can gather like this in your name, and we want to welcome you here, Holy Spirit, to have your way, to work in our hearts, to take your Word and to apply it to each one of us as each one of us need it to be applied. Your word is alive and active. It is truth. It can penetrate even to the hardest heart and even to places, Lord, that we might have shut you out. Your word can penetrate and your Holy Spirit can penetrate. And so we're asking, Lord, that you would come in and that you would do a work, a deep work in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you know, we're in a series called um, Our God Is, and we've been looking at the attributes of God. James looked at Psalm 145, God as our King, uh, that He is good, that He is a helper, unchanging, unsearchable, and Vaughan looked at Psalm 90 last week at the fact that God is our dwelling, pal- dwelling place, that He is judge, and that He is eternal. And it's been an amazing time. It's been an enlightening time. And so if you... If you missed any of the weeks, please go and watch them, Um, because the purpose of the series is that God will enlighten our minds, that we will have a clearer picture of who He is, because if we have a high view of God, that means we lift up high praises to God, and we can worship Him the way He deserves to be praised. You can also join a city group. If you're not part of one, I encourage you to get a part of one, and we're doing this a series on attributes there as well. And we've had some amazing discussion times. And many of us in our group are, are seasoned Christians. We've been Christians for 30-odd years, and we're learning new things. And we feel like our, our relationship with God is being deepened, and our picture of God is becoming clearer. So I encourage you to do that. So today we're going to look at Psalm 89. But before we do that, I want us just to look at the two different categories in which we put the attributes of God. And if you've been in the city group, maybe you've been, or if you were here at Grant's initiative, you might have heard about these. But for some of you, it might be new. So you can put it into two categories. One is incommunicable attributes. I got that out. Incommunicable. You try that. Incommunicable attributes. And that is um, attributes of God where he, God is distinct. We cannot be like him in those attributes. That is, that he is eternal, that he is sovereign, that he is omnipotent, which, which means he is all-powerful, that he is omnipresent, he is everywhere all of the time, and omniscient, that he is all-knowing, and that he is all-wise. He is transcendent, that means he is completely independent, and he is above all things, and he surpasses all things. So he's above all all of creation. And then when we look at these attributes of God, what should our response be? That of worship, 
of adoration, of complete appreciation of this incredible, this perfect God that we get to be in relationship with. Isn't that amazing? Then the second one is the communicable attributes of God. These are aspects of God's character where we can be like Him, where we can reflect some of those attributes in our lives because we're made in His image. And those are His love, His kindness, His holiness, righteousness, His goodness, mercy, and compassion. We can reflect some of those attributes in our lives. And so when we look at those, what kind of response should we have? It should be that as we look at God and consider those attributes, that we recognize that sometimes we still need some work. There's still some work that needs to be done in us, and that we open our hearts to God, and we begin to just ask Him by His Holy Spirit to work in us, and to shape us, and to mold us into His image. Because this is His plan for us, that we are shaped into the image of Jesus. And we see that in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, it says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. He He wants to transform us by a process that we play a part of into his image. And so if I ask you, if you had to stand next to God and look into a mirror together, how would you match up, even into the mirror of his word, How would you measure up? You'd say to me, you're crazy. I could never measure up to God. Of course we cannot measure up to God. We're not wanting to be God. We're not wanting to be like him in his incommunicable attributes. But we want to be like him in these other attributes that we are speaking about. That there's some reflection of who God is in us. So that when people look at us, they see something of God. I, had, I grew up with three brothers, and my one brother was a year older than me, and we were inseparable. We spent a lot of time together. And in our teenage years, I remember people saying to us, you sound exactly the same. You speak exactly the same. And uh, it's because we spend so much time together, it's the same with us and God. As we spend time in the presence of God, we will be shaped into His image. We will become like Him. He will rub off on us, as it were. He will influence us. So it's not a matter of striving. There is an effort involved in the sense of a choice that we need to make and we need to, to make time to spend with God. But it's as we are in his presence, who God is, and as we behold his beauty, we begin to see more of his beauty reflected in us. So we want to look at Psalm 89 today, but it's a very long verse. So we can't read all the the verses. There are 52 verses, so we'll be here for a little while. So I'm going to give you some homework to do. Is that okay? So you have to go today. Today. You have to go today and read Psalm 89. All right. And uh, just because God is at work in our lives today. And so let him speak to you through that psalm. And so we're going to have a look at the love and faithfulness um, of God and those attributes that come through Psalm 89. And you read it the whole way through the psalm. It just comes through over and over again, the steadfast love of God and the faithfulness of God. And so if I have to sum this psalm up, I would say that it is these attributes of God, love and faithfulness, that are displayed on the pedestal of 
the covenant that God made with David. So it is all in relationship, God with his people and this covenant that he made with David, that his faithfulness and his love are displayed. And we see it there. And so before we get into that, I just want to give you a bit of background because we can't read the whole psalm now. The psalm was written by Ethan the Ezrite, and he was known as a very wise man, and he lived around the time of, of Solomon. And there was this, the promise that came um, to David, first of all, in, in, in 2 Samuel 7 verse 16, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So God makes this covenant with David. And he is king. And he says, your throne will rule forever, will will endure forever. And so he passes away and Solomon, his son, takes over from him. And he rules as a descendant of David. And then when Solomon's reign comes to the end, chaos ensues in Israel. There's a lot of sin going on. There's a lot of disunity. And they have civil war. And there is the split between in the nation. And it is the northern kingdoms. There were 10 tribes that went to the north, and that was known as Israel. And then the southern kingdoms, there were two, and that was known as Judah. And so the majority of the Israelites or the people of Israel were under the rule of somebody that was not a descendant of David, and his name was Jeroboam. But yet God had made this promise to him. And so Ethan writes this psalm in this context of what is happening in Israel. And I just want to give you a brief outline. So from verse 1 to 19, Ethan sings God's praises and says how amazing he is, exalts him for his steadfast love and his faithfulness. And because he'd made this promise to David, God's chosen one. And then in verse 19, he goes from verse 19 to about 30, he speaks in in detail about the covenant and the incredible blessing that Israel are experiencing through David's leadership and his kingship, but then also because of this covenant, the blessings that God has bestowed on them, that he fought their battles for them, that he acted on their behalf in so many different ways. He provided for them in so many different ways. So he speaks about that. And then in verse 30 and 37, he speaks about this unconditional promise that even if David's descendants don't stick to the rules, they don't adhere to the law, if they don't love God, God will never forsake them. He's not going to withdraw his love. He will punish them and discipline them for their sin to bring them back into line, but he's not going to withdraw his love. So there's this unconditional element to this promise. And then he goes on in verse 38, and he says, but because he's seeing this chaos, but God, you, you've, you've forgotten the covenant. You've forgotten what you have promised you. I think you're angry at David, your anointed one, and you have renounced this covenant. And he then says, but God, how much longer? How much longer are you going to push us aside as a nation and hide yourself from us? And then he says in verse 49, O Lord, where is your former great love, which in your faithfulness you swore to David? You see, he uses the word former love. You used to love us, but what is happening now? And so he's got these questions that he's asking God. 
And then he ends off the psalm with praise. Even though he's got some questions, he still turns to God in praise. And he says, praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. He starts the psalm with praise and exalting God. And he ends the psalm with praising and exalting God. So we're going to look at the attributes of God. And we're going to look at at Psalm 89 under these three headings. God's attributes... Um, God's attributes questioned, as we see Ethan did, and then God's reflection. And I want us to look at what we can take home today. It's so good when we study the Word of God, just to say, Lord, what is it that you're saying to me today? If it's one thing that you hear God saying that you can take home, that will transform your life. So we see in Psalm 89 verses 1 and 2, we see that God is love, and God is faithful. And I want to read that, that, those two verses to you. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through the generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you establish your faithfulness in heaven itself. And so if you look at that, the adjectives for, for love there, it is great. But in the ESV, it says steadfast love. And in the New King James, it speaks about the mercies of God, which is also an element of God's love. So God's faithful love is expressed to his people through a covenant. For David, it was the covenant that he gave him as a king. But today, it is expressed through the new covenant, which is in the blood of Jesus. And if you are here and you're a Christ follower, you've put your faith and trust in him, you are part of that new covenant. And God expresses his love in the context of relationship with us. So God's love has stood firm through all generations. It is steadfast. It is immovable. It is unchanging. And that is the way it will remain. And then it speaks about his faithfulness. The Hebrew word there is trueness or faithfulness. And it calls to mind God's trustworthiness, his reliability, his certainty, that he is lasting, and that he is completely loyal. It speaks about a quality of being true to one's word or to one's commitment. We see in Deuteronomy 7 verse 9, it says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his command. You see, John MacArthur puts it like this. The word suggests constant and habitual action. That's what we can see. God's actions do not change. The meaning here is that God is reliable. For God to violate his consistency of action would be to violate his very nature or his very character. So God can only love perfectly or be perfect love. And God can only continue to be faithful in a perfect way. So sometimes when we think about God's faithfulness, sometimes when I speak about it, I'll say, oh, God's so faithful, he provided for me, he's protected me, he's, you know, given me the desires of my heart. But it's so much bigger than that. It's so much more. God is faithful, firstly, to his character. He's faithful to his word. He's faithful to his perfect character. And then he is faithful to us because of who he is. He is. And so he is faithful to us, but we are sometimes fickle. We are not always 
able to be as faithful to him as what he is faithful to us. But it gives me hope because in 2 Timothy 2.13, it says, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful for he cannot disown himself. He will always be true to who he is. He cannot change in any way. So the knowledge of these aspects, these attributes of God should fill us with a great sense of awe, a great sense of adoration and appreciation, knowing our God is steadfast in every way, that he is unchanging. What an amazing God we serve. This is our God. There is no one like him, no one that could ever even begin to compare with him. This should cause us to want to worship him. But it should also cause such a deep sense of security in our hearts that he is unshakable, unchangeable in his love and his faithfulness. And no matter how we might be feeling or what's happening in our lives or how we're even behaving, God remains faithful in his character. And that's why it's so important that we go through this series, that we see God as clearly as we possibly can. But I know we don't always see God as clearly as what we would like. And we often see him through the lenses of our circumstances. We don't see him through the lens of God's word, of his eternal truth. And our lenses are a bit blurry. So we don't see God. And it's often, the fact we don't see him like that is because he doesn't always give us what we desire. He doesn't always act in a way that we feel that he should in a particular situation. We sometimes, because of our circumstances, we'll think, oh God, that was a bit unloving. You could have been a little bit kinder there. You know, we think to ourselves, maybe there's even a hint of cruel, like a, God's got a mean streak, or he can be a little bit cruel when we look at how God sometimes takes us through times of suffering or leaves us in a place of suffering for extended times. Have you experienced that? I certainly have. So that we think to ourselves, oh, I think God, we look at people in the world that are suffering and we think maybe God is a little bit cruel. And so we look through our circumstances at God and the picture becomes blurred. But it is impossible for God to have any hint of evil in him. He is perfect in every way in his character. He is perfect in all his ways. It's not like us where we can have a bad day and suddenly all the ugly in us comes out. It's not like something's going to happen and God's suddenly going to change and, you know, he'll just be in a bad mood and treat us differently. It's impossible for God to be like that. God is consistently, perfectly, internally good, pure, loving, and faithful. And these attributes of God and who God is, these truths are established in heaven. It says in Psalm 89, it's established in heaven. It's set in stone. But I know that sometimes these things and this knowledge of God is not always fully perceived here on earth because we are human and we don't fully see everything the way God sees it. But he wants to give revelation and he wants us to have a clearer view of who he is. So my second point is God's attributes questioned because sometimes we do question because of our circumstances. And so we know that God made this covenant with David. That's what we said. And and we read again in Psalm 3 and 4. And Ethan 
writes about that, as I said, in Psalm 89, 19 to 38. He celebrates this incredible covenant and the blessing that the people of God experience. And so we know even from the first few verses that Ethan is convinced that God is faithful, that he is steadfast, and that he's made this covenant, and he's not going to remove his love. So we know that he is convinced of that and that God's character is sure. But there's just this little hint, this little niggle in him saying, yes, I know that about you. But when I look at what is happening in my nation, it seems that you have forgotten your covenant. It seems like you have forgotten about us. It seems like you have broken this covenant that you made with us. And so what two things that I saw in this passage that Ethan was wrestling with, the questions that he was asking, God, have you stopped loving us? Have you ever asked God that? I have. Have you forgotten about me? Do you not love me anymore? If you loved me so much and as much as what you say, surely you would do such and such, or you would rescue me, or you would give me this, or provide that for me. But it says in Psalm 89, 32 and 33, I will punish their sins with the rod, their iniquity with flogging, but I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. So God has to deal with us sometimes in a, in a, in a, in a um, oh, to discipline us in some ways, but um, he will never remove his love. He might have to correct us, Put us in line like he did with Israel, but he will never remove his love. And it's because he loves us that he disciplines us. And that's what it says in Hebrews 12. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. But I must just say this to you. Not every hardship that we go through or difficulty that we go through is a result of God disciplining us. Because we're living in a fallen world and we're living among sinful people, sometimes the difficulty that we experience comes from someone else's choice and someone else's sin, and we are suffering under that. But we must know that God sees that and he cares about what is happening in our lives that he works all things together for good. And like we've heard in the past weeks, he is our helper. God is our helper. He does not leave us in those times. And then the other thing I see that Ethan asked is, God, have you forgotten your promise? Has it come to nothing? In Psalm 38, I mean, I keep saying that. Verse 38, 39, but you have rejected, you have spurned, you have been very angry with your anointed one. You have renounced your covenant with your servant and have defiled his crown in the dust. That's how Ethan was perceiving the situation, that God turned back on his word. God was not being faithful. And he says, how much longer, Lord? How much longer? But what makes Ethan question God's faithfulness and God's love. It's because, like I said, he's looking through the lenses of his circumstance, what's happening to the people of Israel. But he would not have known because he couldn't see into the future. But God had not renounced that covenant. God had not forgotten about the people of Israel. He is not a man that he should lie, says in Numbers. 
When God speaks and when God promises something, it is true, and he will be faithful to what he has promised. But Ethan didn't know about the eternal king that was to come, Jesus the Messiah. And so God kept somebody on the throne and will keep somebody on the throne, one of his descendants, through all eternity. God was faithful to his promise, but Ethan couldn't see that clearly where he was standing. And so in Luke, we read that when the angel comes to Mary and wants to and prophesies to her that Jesus will be born, this is what he says. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. God fulfilled his promise, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants, which is Israel, forever, and his kingdom will never end. God was faithful and true. And so we need to remember that sometimes we can't see the bigger picture. We can't see the full picture, but that doesn't change the character of God. It doesn't change the nature of God. And so recently, I experienced something that illustrates this. And I've started studying with a college in in America, and I met a lady on on a Zoom call, and we connected because she's an artist, and I love art too. And so we've become friends, and my my son Jonathan was like, how do women do that? So we're WhatsApping, and we're making friends. You remember like pen pals? Are any of you old enough to remember what a pen pal is? Oh, my word, no way, no way. So we used to get a, get a photo of somebody, if you were lucky, and write to them overseas, and it was great because you could learn about their life. So Sabella and our pen pals in, the, you know, in a new way. So, so we you know, shared our lives and shared our, what's happening in our family's life. And so she's married to Amir. They're originally from Bosnia. And she's got two children, a, a daughter and a son. And her son, Emil, and Lydia are married with a little daughter, Avery. And Lydia, Lydia was uh, pregnant with their second child. And one day she WhatsApped me and she said, please pray for my family. We've received bad news that there's something wrong with the baby. And the baby hadn't been de- uh, developing, hadn't developed kidneys. So she'd asked many people to pray and their faith community was praying. And we were trusting God to do a creative miracle. And I was speaking to the Lord about this, saying, Lord, we've often prayed for people, Vaughan and I, many many of us in the church, we've prayed and we've seen God do miracles. And then we've prayed and then we've seen people pass away from cancer and all kinds of things. And I said, Lord, this one, this one, I'm asking you, please, to come through in an amazing way. Just think what kind of testimony we can tell about you and just tell people how amazing you are. And I was having these conversations, and I know there were many people around, you know, in, around them that were praying. So I'm just telling you it from my point of view, but I was trusting God for a miracle in this child's life. Her name is Yuna. And as she was getting closer to the time, obviously people, you know, they were getting more stressful, but they were still in faith and trusting God. And on the 6th of February, she was born. And I did ask them, and there you'll see Lydia and Emil and little Avery and little Una that's just been born. And could God work a miracle in this child? Of course he could. He's a miracle-working God. He's omnipotent. He can do anything. We believe that. But that day, on the 6th of February, he chose to take little Una home. 
And so our hearts were broken. And I didn't feel the kind of pain that they're feeling and have felt. Of course I haven't. But I felt so disappointed. I felt so upset with God. Like, why couldn't you do it this time? Have you ever felt like that? Why couldn't you do it this time? Just think how amazing it would have been and the testimonies that we could have told of your goodness. But as much as I believe that he's omnipotent, I also have to believe that he's omniscient and that he is all-wise and all-knowing and that he knows something that I don't know or that Sabella's family does not know. And so does him taking little Una home after a couple of hours of life change his character? No. Is God still faithful to them in their time of suffering? Yes. Is God carrying them through this time of mourning? Yes. Is God working deeply in their hearts to produce the character of Jesus in this time? Yes. And I want to read something to you that Lydia put on Facebook. And this was on the 12th of December before this all happened. She said, I believe the same is true for Una. So much about her life is unexpected. I never imagined to be spending these months anticipating anything other than bringing her home. But her life is so perfect to us and more importantly to God. In her time here, she has already done so much more for us than we ever could have imagined. She has taught us how to trust God more fully, how to love more deeply, how to walk through hardship with strength and so much more. God's plan for Una is unexpected to us, but not to him. It is so beautiful and we haven't seen it all unfold yet. A painful experience, and yet God remains faithful in that. And so I want to ask you today, are you looking at a circumstance in your life through looking at God through a circumstance in your life? Are your lenses getting a bit misted up the way mine did? Honestly, it's taken me a bit of time to process this. But this is what I've had to do. And I'm asking you to do the same thing. Is to take the word of God, the truth of God's word, and to clean the lenses of your circumstances. To wipe away the misconceptions that you have of God because of your painful and confusing and difficult circumstances. And I know there's some of you in this room that can relate to what I'm saying. He is never going to leave you or forsake you. This is something that might have happened to you a long time ago. And I believe that there's some of you here that for many years you've actually battled to go into the presence of God because you don't see him as a loving father. You don't see him as kind and compassionate. You see him as cruel. God wants you to 
just work with him today and allow him to wash away those misconceptions that you will have a clear view of him again today and that you will see his incredible love for you. God wants you to embrace his truth today and be set free by that truth. And so when I read this post by Lydia, I thought to myself, what maturity? I said to Sabella, I sent her a message, I said, what maturity? That someone would be open to God in the midst of pain and uncertainty to allow God to shape them, allow God to shape their hearts so that they can reflect Jesus in a clearer way. And so that's what we're going to look at, God's reflection. Yes, we'll never be exactly like God. He's distinct from us, but God wants us to look more like him. Vaughan said last week, we become what we behold. Are you beholding your God? Not through misted up lenses, but through the lenses of the word so that you can begin to look more and more like him. And so I want to look at some practical aspects of what that means and how we can reflect those attributes in God. But I really wanted to do this. I want to pray for a second because I don't want this to be, oh, yes, I'm missing it here, I'm missing it here, I'm missing it here, and I feel condemned when I walk out of here. I want it to be a, Lord, I want to look at you and behold your beauty. And when I'm in your presence, I want you to begin to do these things in my life. So can I pray for a second? Lord, I want to thank you for your people. Thank you that you are with us, Lord. And I thank you for this, that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But it's by the power of your Holy Spirit at work in us, as we just surrender to you, as we open our hearts to you, that you do this deep work of transformation in us so that tomorrow and the next day, we will look more like Jesus than we do today. And so we're asking your Holy Spirit to do that, just to put your finger on something in a gentle, loving way and say, I want to change that. I love you too much to leave you where you are right now. We thank you for that, Lord. Amen. So I want to look at it in relation to God and how we reflect these attributes in how we love God. That's the first one. So we reflect God in how we love him. And it says in 1 John 4 verse 19, we love because he first loved us. He showed us what love was and is and how to act in a loving way. And our response should be in Mark 12, 30, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Because we've been loved, we can love God. Then the second thing is, can be reflected in how we serve God. Second Chronicles 19.9, you must serve faithfully and wholeheartedly in the fear of the Lord. Colossians 3.23 and 24, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for a human master, since, uh, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So God doesn't do anything half-heartedly. And so if we want to reflect him, then we should also give ourselves to serving him with all our hearts and with faithfulness. How we proclaim the Lord is also how we can reflect him. It says in verse 5, The heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too in the assembly of the Holy One. Are we telling others about the faithfulness of God? Are we teaching our children about the faithfulness of God? Of God, Are we telling them the amazing stories, the good stories and the difficult stories? We're not leaving out the Eunice stories. Because 
God hasn't changed. Sometimes we feel like we need to protect God and say, God didn't come through there, so let me rather keep quiet. No, he came through in the way that he felt was best. So he is still perfectly faithful to Sibella and her family, as he is to us. So let's not be scared to share the difficult stories. But when we share the difficult stories, it fills people's hearts with courage. Because they say, no matter what life throws at me, my God is in it with me. He's not going to leave me. He's the steadfast one. Even when I feel shaky, he is the steadfast one. And Psalm 40 verse 10 says, I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and faithfulness from the great assembly. Let's share what God is doing in our lives. Here and then in the spaces, places, and relationship. It's an amazing way to tell people about God. Is the faithful ways he has has showed up for you. Speak of those things and do not conceal them in your heart. Then the fourth thing is how we endure under trial. James 1 verse 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. And Jesus was our perfect example that he endured the cross for our sake. So we need to hold fast to our faith, just like Sabella and her family are doing at present. They're holding fast to their faith in the midst of trial and suffering. As God is faithful to us, let us be faithful to him. And then in relation to other people, this is how we can reflect these attributes of love and faithfulness. It's how we commit ourselves in our relationships or to our relationships. God is a covenant-keeping God. And so we need to be faithful in our relationships as well. We need to be reliable, trustworthy, loyal, dependable, faithful, and true in our friendships, as parents, in our families, in our marriage covenant. If God is a covenant-keeping God, then we should honor our marriage covenant. Are you a faithful friend, a faithful father, a faithful mother, and a faithful spouse? And I feel sometimes we say that we're faithful in marriage. I just want to say something about that particularly. We're faithful in marriage. We have, there's been no infidelity whatsoever, but we've disengaged our hearts. We're present physically, but we're not present emotionally. And I'm able to say this to you because I do this sometimes, and my husband will tell you this. I'm a very sensitive person, and so when I get hurt, I'm like a, see an enemy. I go in and I build walls sometimes. The problem is when we build walls, we can't get out and people can't get in. And we cannot love the way God wants us to love with a faithful and true love. So encourage those of you that are here that are married, that you stay faithful physically, stay pure in your marriage, but stay faithful in your heart and love your spouse, love those around you with a faithful heart right up until the end so that you can reflect God in that. And then how we love. Then in Mark 12, it also says, you know, it says we must love the Lord our God, but then we must love our neighbor as we love ourselves. This speaks of a sacrificial love which Jesus demonstrated to us. This isn't, well, if this works for me, I'm in, I'll love you, or I'll treat you well, but you know, if it doesn't suit me, I'm out. No, that's not the image that Jesus portrayed for us. He showed a self-sacrificing love where he put his, lay down his life for us, and God is asking us to do the same. 
then love, love that endures. Jeremiah 33 verse 3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. God is eternal and his love is eternal. We are not eternal. We can't love in that capacity that God can. But I really believe that we can have an enduring kind of love. A love that is unconditional, that pushes through the difficulties, that doesn't give up on people easily. So that we will remember we're made in the image of God and God's given us a capacity to love. But let it be an enduring love. Let's be inspired by the way God loves so that we can love in the same way with a persevering love. Then a love that confronts. God loved his people, but he had to confront them because he knew that their behavior wasn't the best thing for them. And so sometimes this takes the form of us disciplining our children. This is the best thing we can do for our children. If we love them, we will discipline them and teach them in the ways of the Lord, and we will instruct them the way God wants them to live. And then in our friendships. Are we honest in our friendships? Will we confront a friend that is maybe making a decision that is against the word of God, that you know is going to take their life down the wrong path? Do we love in a way and love enough to be able to confront those people that are close to us? Vaughan and I had a friend, um, he used to be in our city group when we were much younger, And he started to see a girl and date a girl, and we just knew this isn't going to work out well. This is going to take him down a path that God doesn't want him to go. So we sat in the car one night after church, and we had a firm chat with him and said, we we have to be honest. You have to get out of this situation. You have to get out of this relationship. It's not good for you. And I can't remember everything we said, but one thing I do remember saying is, Al, this isn't time to walk away. Turn and run, my boy. That's what I said to him. I, 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 was, I felt so convicted about it. And we often joke about it. So he's been married. I like they're married at the same time as us. So they, he's married to a beautiful woman, godly woman. They've got two children. And we often joke about this thing. And, but what if I hadn't said that? What if Vaughan and I hadn't had that conversation with him? Where would he be today? And so is our love enough to be able to confront those that we love because we know that God has got something better for them. And the same in our marriage. Will we take time to have those honest conversations and not withdraw? That's my challenge. And not reject. So if we have to look into the mirror, are these characteristics coming forth in our lives in ever-increasing measure? Are we seeing some of these attributes of God being developed in our life? So my mom often used to say when I was little, who does she look like? I don't know. Does she look like daddy or mommy or grandpa or whatever? So I used to lie in bed and think to myself, I'm adopted. I'm adopted. I don't look like anybody in my family. (laughs) Obviously, as time went on, it was like, clearly, I am born to Wally and Francis stay. I look a lot like them. And, uh, but when I was younger, I was like, oh, you know, I'm not part of this family. And I think sometimes when we see the flaws in ourselves, we think it's going to disqualify me from being part of this family of God. No, you are a child of God. Does God like all your behavior? No. Will he discipline you and shape you and make you more like Jesus, give you a bit of a hiding sometimes so that you can change? Yes, he will. But it will not change the fact that you belong to him, that you are his and you are in his family. 
Does he want people to look at you and say, I know whose she is. She belongs to the Father. And see that she is growing up in that household. I can see some of the values from that household in her or in him. That's what God wants for us. But he doesn't push us out of his family when we don't get it all right. So I want to do a James on you, and I want us to read this passage together that we started off with. Nice and loud, please, not praise the Lord. Okay, none of that, right? (laughs) Can't help myself. Okay, so (laughs) let's read that loud voices, because we are praising Almighty God. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through the generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever that you establish your faithfulness in heaven itself. Our God is amazing. There is no one like him. Let's worship him. So our God is eternal. His love and his faithfulness are steadfast. And his covenant of love with us will continue throughout eternity, even when we've got some questions like Ethan had, and when we sometimes measure God's love and faithfulness through our circumstances, God still loves us. And he proved this love for us in the most ultimate way that Jesus came and he died and he laid down his life for us. There is no greater love than this, that someone would lay down their life for us. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So from the beginning of time, when sin entered the world, God was faithful, and he put a redemptive plan in place. And then Jesus came at the perfect time, and he died on the cross. His blood was shed for us. God was faithful in that. But that's not the end, because Jesus is coming back for us, and we are going to spend eternity with him. So through all of our days, through all of time, God is faithful because that is his nature. God loves because that is his nature. So I want to read Revelation 19, verses 6 to 8. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear, which are the righteous acts of the saints. His steadfast love and his faithfulness endure forever. He was faithful to David. He was faithful. He's faithful right until the end. And he's faithful with every circumstance that you're facing in between. And so we're going to sing this song and we're going to break some bread. But let's celebrate all that Jesus has done for us, for us to be able to enter into this new covenant through his blood. It's through this covenant that we are called the children of God, those he loves and those to whom he is faithful.